isn't that fun? So good. So good. All right, so we are continuing today with our sermon series entitled Revelation for Not Crazy People. And remember, in this series, we're walking through the book of Revelation, and we're trying to figure out how all this bizarre, crazy, trippy imagery and trying to make sense of it all and get at the power of some of the the powerful imagery that's behind it without falling into the worst excesses of those who sometimes read it. And... Throughout, we've been seeing the most helpful way to look at this book and to get at the power that's in it in our lives is, is figuring out what John is talking about here and then, fig- and then figuring out if it has implications for us rather than try and figure out who in our current world is the Antichrist. So this week, we trek through Revelation and we encounter this character, called Babylon. Dramatic, right? Um, So there's no doubt that Babylon is the bad guy, right? The very bad guy. And to boot, we have super confusing symbolism about it. And so that's great. But to try and understand what we are talking about here, we need to start by digging into the idea of Babylon. So when you're reading the book of Revelation, anytime you see Babylon... It is referring to Rome. And so remember, the Jews at this point are subjugated and oppressed and colonized by the Roman Empire. That's the whole context for where we are here. And However, there's a misconception about what that looked like that has a lot of traction. And so the misconception is that the earliest Christians were really persecuted by the Roman Empire. It's not exactly right. Okay, so the empire itself only really had a handful of bursts of, of kind of trying to take out the track down and stamp out the Christians. But for the most part, they didn't really even care about them. What was going on was twofold. There was local harassment and persecution and the fear of being persecuted by the empire. And there was hardly anything that was actually happening at the empire level, but... That didn't stop them from being terrified of the wrath of the Roman Empire, which, which did have an established track record of crushing dissidents, right? And so because of that fear, John wrote Revelation in kind of a secret code, if you will, which makes sense, right? You don't want to tick off the authorities. And so, like, imagine in our day... You start ranting and raving about, I'm going to go assassinate the president. You're going to be talking to some secret service agents real soon, right? Right? Yeah, because, but if you are talking about, oh, I want to go assassinate the Cold War era leaders of the USSR, Nikita Khrushchev, maybe. Yes, people will think you're crazy and possibly dangerous, Right? But it's not like the KGB is going to track you down and interrogate you because of that, right? It's, there's something different. It's, it, it's not a legitimate threat, right? It's somewhere in the past, and so it's not quite the same. And so in the same way, remember that the major conflict in Revelation is God versus Rome. And it's a story. Revelation is a story about God overthrowing the empire of God 
leading an army to violently overtake the emperor and assume his throne, to forcibly displace him. And so, do you think the Roman Empire would have liked this story? Probably not. And John knew this, but, but does Rome care if you're ranting and raving about an empire that died out 600 years ago? Probably not so much, right? Probably less so. And so John writes in this code. And some of it we can figure out, and, and some of it we can't because we don't have the key to the code, but, and, and frankly, some things are probably lost to history. But some things we can figure out, and the clearest one that we can figure out is that Rome equals Babylon. So any time in the text you see the name Babylon, in your mind... Just put in Rome instead. I mean, so that, so that explains why John wrote in code. But why does John use this code? What's so bad about Babylon? Why is that the name that he chooses? Well, you see, about 700 years ago or so, long time ago, there was a collective trauma in the lives of the Israelites. Their people were hauled off into exile, forcibly displaced, taken hundreds of miles away and forced to resettle in a foreign land. And this was obviously traumatic for them. It was one of the biggest communal traumas in their history. And guess who it was who hauled them off into exile? Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was one of the earliest empires in the world, and it was big and powerful and huge and responsible for this communal trauma. So, do you think the Jews liked the Babylonians? Probably not, right? They hated them. They're they're the evil enemy who is responsible for so much of the suffering of their people, right? So when we call Rome Babylon, is that a good thing? No, not really. It's saying you are as horrible as the worst figures in history, right? But at the same time, this coded language establishes plausible deniability, right? Because the Roman authorities are going to confront you and be like, what are you talking about about us, right? And you could say, no, 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 I wasn't talking about Rome. You, you misunderstood me. But no, I'm talking about this thing from way back in our ancient history. It's, it's fine. I wasn't talking about Rome, right? It gives you this excuse, this plausible deniability to, you know, try, try at least, to, you know, escape the repercussions of it, right? Which, which is total BS, right? It, but, but it sets it up for the potential for that, right? So we have this, a ton of discussion about Babylon, this evil empire that has so scarred the people in the past and, and putting Rome into that mold, yeah. So with all that figured out, what do we make of this here passage that we heard this morning? Because what do we have? We have this image of a, of a prostitute riding on this gigantic, horrendous beast. We'll, we'll talk about the prostitute more next week. No, really, like we will. So, by the way, this is your content warning, so be aware. Now I can't get any complaints about it. I warned you guys. Okay. 
Um, so, and take a guess who the beast represents. Babylon slash Rome. Yes, and so the text has all these symbolic numbers. And so the beast, as we heard, has these blasphemous names written across its whole body. And it has seven horns and uh, seven heads and ten horns. Super confusing, right? So some of this stuff here is some of this stuff that we've lost to history. That, that we don't know the details of the symbolism. But he does half explain it to us here. It's still confusing, but we can kind of get a large picture of what's going on. So here's, here's what's likely going on. The, sevens, the beast's seven heads are seven hills, which doesn't make any sense until... What, if you had to take a random guess, what ancient metropolis do you think might have been built on seven hills? Rome. Oh, famously so. Okay, interesting. And then we find that those heads also represent seven Caesars, the emperors of Rome. And uh, it doesn't particularly matter which specific ones John's talking about. It, that's probably lost to history, but it's never going to be resolved. But the passage is pretty clear nonetheless that Rome is a horrendous beast, right? That, that God and the good guys despise. Rome is the personification of evil. And then notice what else is happening in this passage here. Right? All the rulers of the world are coming and bowing down before the beast. They're trying to throw in their lot with the beast. They want a part of it. And then the, the people, the normal people, so many of them are awestruck and, and stupefied by the power of the beast and they want in they're drunk on the power exuding from the beast and the prostitute. And, and so they worship the beast. So one of the questions this raises is, why is everybody so gung-ho about getting on board with this beast? Because, so here's, here's the thing. Rome was smart. Right. They did not build an empire by coming in and decimating entire populations of whatever culture was there and forcing them to become part of the empire and extorting taxes and stuff. Yeah, that's happened some, and the taxes stuff happened all the time. But for the most part, that didn't happen because it's not a winning strategy. The, every empire in history who's done that has been short-lived because what happens... Everybody starts being, it's unbearable for everybody to live in. And so eventually they rise up and overthrow the government. And so it's unbearable for the people under it. So Rome didn't want to do that. They didn't want to be short-lived. Rather, the Roman Empire couldn't have succeeded without the participation of at least some of the powerful local folks, the local elites, collaborators, if you will. And so Rome tried to sell it. It's propaganda, right? And so you have a slogan, if you will, Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It's, it's like not only is Rome just one of any of the other states. No, Rome is special. Rome is the state because because of Rome there's peace in the world. They're holding the world together from chaos. The and, 
And note this part, right? They're the bringer of civilization and goodness and light and progress to the world. Is that something you've heard from other empires? Yeah, so that, that's part of the logic, the internal logic of empires. One of the things that you see over and over again in them. And of course, everybody, everybody knows that Roman society is so great. I mean, just look at the roads, the giant road system, and the aqueducts, and the public baths. It's amazing. Rome's the best, right? I want to be a part of that. So Rome's strategy is not brute force, right? It's trying to win them over, trying to get inside their minds and convince them that they want to be subjects to the Roman Empire. So you've got this Pax Romana, this Roman peace, this idea that Rome is being, bringing about order and peace and progress, and thus you want to be a part of it. And as John tells it, so many people go for it. All the rulers want to join in. A lot of everyday folks We're drunk on this power and this promise. Now, next question. Why does John emphatically not want his folks to buy into the empire? Why is John so passionate about this? What John says through his weird story and imagery is this whole thing, this whole Pax Romana, this whole Roman peace is bunk. It's BS. It's this whole idea that if you buy in and give allegiance to Rome, to the emperor, that your life will be rich and splendid and perfect. The world will be better. John says no. He doesn't buy that because John says Look, everybody's ooing and eyeing over the, the trappings and the facade. And, and look at my beautiful aqueducts. Look at my beautiful roads, right? But John says beneath that facade, it's way darker than they let on. The empire, sure, has these achievements, yeah. But at what cost? The empire is built on blood, Because you know how, in reality, you know how you make the Roman peace? You win people over. And then you kill everybody that you don't. Right? That that is how you make the Roman peace. And, uh, And then all of a sudden, look, there's no critics. It's so peaceful. It's nobody's objecting. Right? That's how you make the Pax Romana. It's... In the conquest of Rome over the whole entire world, John wants to get behind that spin that the empire is trying to put on it, saying that it's progress for the world. And John says, no, it's not. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace, it is a violent takeover. That empire's root is exploitation and is cracking down on dissidents and is authoritarianism. All these are baked into empire, like, like Lady Macbeth's spot, the, the blood stain you can't wash from your hand, right? And especially important for John is this idea that to be part of the empire, you can only give your allegiance to the Caesar. Caesar is first and foremost 
and best. But John says, no, we have an allegiance to something greater than that. We have allegiance to God of Israel. We won't give our allegiance to a human ruler, to a tyrant. We see throughout the rest of the book that God, that John images God as inaugurating this peaceful reign that where the world is as it should be and it doesn't need to be set that way by violent exploitation like the empires are. And yet, and yet, John is still a product of his culture. He can't free his imagination enough to think of what a world would look like that's truly free of that violent exploitation he's learned from Rome, from the empires. He can't get his mind around more life-giving alternatives to the empire he sees around him. And so, even while warning others to come out of the empire... His picture of God's reign still has that violence at its root. And so Rome's empire becomes countered by God's empire, with God forcibly conquering all who stand in God's way. But still, even though he had on the blinders of his context, John still was able to start to get at what it would mean for God's peaceable reign to be present on the earth as an alternative way of being. But, but, but the direction he moves in falls short, right? Which compels us to continue his task of, of even furthering his vision of God's peaceable reign on the earth, of seeking to come out of the violent ideological underpinnings of empire that we too have learned from growing up in it. And to take the baton from John and to say, you got it here. You got stopped short by your context, yes. Couldn't keep going far enough to actually flesh out what it would look like. But we'll take this baton and continue the race. We'll try to follow your example precisely by surpassing your example by pressing forward to a vision of God and of the redeemed world that does not involve God violently destroying the enemy, but a fully redeeming humanity. So this week, I challenge you to do some tough soul excavation In what ways have you, like John, similarly being influenced and growing up with empire, in what ways have you gotten these violent messages deep down in your soul? And how can we work to root them out? May you be given the insight and fortitude to do this hard but holy work. May it be so.